You're listening to another episode on the Man of Class podcast. I'm your host, Eric Yusko, founder of Man of Class, this podcast, and is the personal development expert for those men who are ready to leave ordinary behind and start living their best life. This season, we're back with the myth of riches, and you can't live your best life without having some money behind you. So that's why we decided to do this season, and Chad is with us again, so we're going to dive deep into cash, hidden cash that you didn't know that you have. One of the biggest things with wealth is being able to have cash to start to invest. But Chad and I wanted to ask a different question, which is what cash do you maybe have right now that you're not aware of? Because if you have that cash, now all of a sudden you have some opportunities to maybe change your investing path or your investing strategy for the road ahead. So make sure to stay tuned. we got a lot of great nuggets in this one. So stay tuned. Every day, the world tolerates less and less of traditional masculine behavior, which has driven a new standard for men to be successful. How does one evolve so that they can win in today's world? Enter Man of Class, a place to empower men to break down traditional masculinity and build the necessary skill sets, mindset, and confidence to become the men that society desperately needs. Welcome, and I hope you enjoy. All right, welcome back to another episode. We um, This episode, we're going to get into unlocking hidden cash. So if this is the first time that you're tuning into us, uh, this is the Man of Class podcast. We've got a great guest, Chad Sutton. Him and I have partnered up this season to discuss the myth of riches and how you can get your uh, wealth journey underway, regardless of whether you have no money and you're starting from scratch or whether you have some cash set aside and you want to grow it. So regardless, wherever you are, you there's there's an episode for you. So make sure to stay tuned and go back and watch the previous episodes because we've got a lot of great content that we've kind of worked our way through, uh, starting with the very basics of what is an asset, what is a liability, things that you may not have actually picked up on or things that maybe you had misinterpreted, you know, again, depending on where you got your learning from and kind of working your way all the way through. So this episode, we are diving into cash that you have that you may not be, that you may not know you have. So if that's not a, if that's not a hook, if that's not a, a, a pops your ears up, if you will, then I don't know what was. So Chad, start us off with kind of some of the things that you know, what does that mean? What, where are some of the areas and we can dive into more detailed examples, but sort of from like the 30,000 foot view, what are some of those? What do those look like? Yeah. Thanks, Eric. And good afternoon to everyone who's listening here. Um, I'm going to spare any of the pleasantries because we have a lot to talk about this time. So there's really, you know, whether you know it or not, you probably have a good amount of liquidity or cash in areas that you thought you couldn't tap into, okay? And I'm gonna tell you that what the world tells you you can't do is false because I did it, okay? So there are ways to go against what people tell you you can and cannot do. One of them is your retirement accounts. Now, before you shoot me, I I know, I know, I know, that, but that's my nest egg. Well, if you're thinking about things the way we're thinking about things, maybe the nest egg isn't what you really want. Maybe that money is better for you now if put into the appropriate vehicle rather than sitting in, you know, a box until you're 65 in someone else's control, right? So one of those is your retirement accounts. The other one is your primary residence. If you own a home, chances are, unless you bought it like six months ago, and even still maybe depending on what market you're in, you probably have some tangible equity in that home. I'm going to tell you a way that I have used and many others have used 
to tap into that liquidity. And I don't mean we're buying Lamborghinis with it, guys, but I mean, if you can actually use that liquidity to buy an asset that makes you money, right? Um, then you will, you'll find some success there. And the third one is some, a lot of us have been talked into buying these cash value life insurance policies. And there is a strategy we'll talk about in a future episode with one of our other colleagues, um, who specific to the smart way to use these, but if you have a poorly structured whole life policy, AKA one that Northwestern Mutual would sell you, for example, um, we can, I can say that cause I had one, we can talk about how to unlock some cash there. Yeah, no, that's good. And, and an important thing that, that you just covered, Chad was to not just cause you free up cash doesn't mean you go, go buy the new air Jordans or uh, go buy a Lamborghini with it. It's go back to one of the first episodes where we talked about, assets and and income producing assets and the different classes in there. Because if you free up some cash and you use that cash appropriately, it's going to help propel you towards that wealth journey. Now, and again, let's just, you know, from a 30,000 foot view, why do we care about wealth? Most people, you know, I know it's on everybody's brain, but let's, let's just call it out for a quick second. Wealth is freedom. And if you don't believe that, see how long you can live without spending money. You need to spend money to get food. You need to spend money to put a roof over your head for shelter. You need to spend money in order to go travel, right? Even to go see family members, even to go to the grocery store to get food, right? You need to spend money. So although money doesn't bring happiness, the lack of money brings stress. And that is true. And I can say that because A, I've been there, but B, I see that in so many people's lives where they're so stressed because they just want more money because of X, Y, and Z. So that's why we're talking about this is to get you from a point of stress to a point where you can start getting ahead of the curve and you can start actually claiming out some of your freedoms. You can start getting money freedom, location freedom, time freedom, right? All these things that are important to you because at the end of the day, you want to be able to go do your life the way you want to, not the way somebody has told you to go do. So enough with the the quick blurb of the why, but I always love to start with the why, because once you're crystal clear on that, everything else makes so much more sense. So Chad, let's dive into the thing that probably everybody will cringe when we talk about retirements, but let's, let's go there. Let's dive right into that. Yes. And, and, and everyone who's cringing rightfully so. And before we open up these secrets, Eric, we have to give a little bit of a prerequisite. Okay. So for all you listeners out there, I want you to do something for me. If you've ever read Dave Ramsey's book or listened to him on a show, you probably know who he is, right? He's an uber conservative, credit is bad, cash is good, everything in cash, right? If you listen to that and you roll your eyes because you're like, you know what? I know how to use credit responsibly. Then this is for you. If you are going through Dave Ramsey's programs, good for you. That means credit at one time was a drug for you and you were getting better. Don't do this until you get through, until you can look at, at Dave Ramsey's programs and, you know, successfully pass through or know that, yes, I have these, these character characteristics, right? So that's very, very important because what I'm about to tell you will unlock massive liquidity and you can ruin yourself if you don't use it responsibly. Okay. So that's my, that's my one disclaimer. So, on and to and there's going to be a bunch of money mindset. So, 
the piece behind what Chad is just saying is, you know, whether you misused or got mistreated by credit in the past, you know, wherever you are in your mindset journey, we will have, I think it may be the next episode, but there will be an episode around money mindset. And that is super key because Mm -hmm. all these are tools, but just like you can use a table saw to cut your hand off, you can also use it to build a house. So all these are tools, but you have to be able to have the right mindset and understand the ins and outs of some of this stuff so that you use all these tools appropriately. And that's what, that's the biggest thing that Chad and I are trying to do in this season is to bring these tools to your awareness, but also to help get you, your mind into the right place so that you can use these tools to help build you a house instead of chopping your arm off. So I love the way you said that. That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) We'll jump right into the the retirement. So retirement accounts, most of you, if if you've worked any time in corporate America or any, any job where you have some sort of, of retirement benefit, right? It's likely that you have amassed some, some amount of money. Maybe it's $50,000, maybe it's $5 million, maybe it's $500,000, whatever that is, depending on where you are in your life, right? You have probably been stashing away some money <clears throat> that has been compounding over time. Well, if you've listened to Eric and I at all, you know that we're not really that big of fans of the stock market, but you know, to each his own, there are people that make money there. The problem with retirement accounts is you can't be the one making decisions on them. And the typical retirement account is structured by your employer and it is with a company like Fidelity or One America or some of those big financial institutions who spend a lot of money on advertising and, and money managers. And they will offer a very small subset of stocks, bonds, mutual funds that they control and earn commissions off of that you can invest in. Uh, and you don't believe me, go, go to your Fidelity account and try to invest in a One America fund. It doesn't work. Okay. So, you have a very control, and most people need this, by the way, right? I mean, most people do not have the the wherewithal or the desire to make the decision on where they invest their money. So, if 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 nothing else, that's okay, right? I mean, that is that is better than nothing, right? If you're just going to ignore your investments, at least these will grow at some amount of of, of rate. But let's say you look at your fidelity balance or whatever it is, and you have. $200,000 in there. Well, guess what, guys? <clears throat> you can actually get that money out and not pay the penalties that we're talking about if you do it right and actually deploy that into a cash flowing asset that will help you today. And, and think about it this way. Yes, that money will be taken out of the market and not building your nest egg, but it is freeing up your time from your income today. If you're able to take that money and deploy it into something that makes, you know, 10% per year in cash, all of a sudden you've got an extra $20,000 a year, right? So that can really go a long way to getting you started. So how do we do this, right? First thing is typically if you still work for the company where that account is, you're stuck, right? The, uh, the it's very, it's typically written into the the bylaws of those plans that while you work for the company, you cannot roll that money to another account, right? But let's say you know you've you're two or three jobs into your career and you have a couple of others that are in a a previous employer's four hundred one k, right? There is something called a self directed IRA 
or a solo 401k. Those are two different types of individual retirement plans. The solo 401k you can use if you own your own business and only you or your spouse owns it with no employees. So let's say a typical, you know, uh, residential real estate business. A a self-directed IRA is an individual retirement account. Anyone can have one of these, right? So what you would do is you would actually pick up the phone and you would call any one of these companies, Equity Trust, Rocket Dollar, uh, uh, Quest. You know, there, there's a number of them out there. Reach out to us if you need recommendations, but there's a, this Google self-directed IRA and you'll find a slew of companies out there. Do pay attention to their transaction costs, right? Because they all have their different costs and fees. Mine is with Rocket Dollar. I think they're the most efficient ones out there, but that's that's my decision. Now, what they're going to do is set you up with an LLC, a limited liability company. Okay. And that limited liability company is going to have the ability to set up a checking account. Now that company is going to be named, you know, uh, Chad Sutton, IRA, 401k, PSP, or something like that, right? It's going to be an entity that exists in your name. It is not yours. It is, it is its own entity in, in the tax code, but it is able to house your retirement funds legally and keep them segregated from your funds, right? So you can do one of two things. You can roll your money, pick up the phone and call Fidelity after you set this up and say, hey, I would like to roll my 401k over to another account. This is just like you would roll it to another employer's account, except you're rolling it to a, a IRA that you've created. Well, once you do that, they'll either send you a check or they'll just do the wire for you. And all of a sudden, you're going to see that LLC's bank account be funded with, you know, $200,000. And there should not be any tax withholding when you do this because you're putting it into a qualified account. Okay. Well, now here's the beauty of it. Now you can go take that money and literally stroke a check on behalf of your IRA into a real estate investment, into gold, into, um, give me another asset, Eric, stocks and bonds. Like if you want to go buy Berkshire Hathaway's stock, you can do that. Like whatever it is you want to do, this allows you, and there, there are entire articles out there. This is part of the IRS code. You can invest in any non-traditional asset. The only things you can't invest in are things like art, alcohol, right? Any other commodity you can invest in. You can go buy oil if you want to, right? Like when, when the, when the, uh, last petroleum crisis was we had, you know, I know guys in Texas with land just bought up a bunch of oil, you know, oil filled tanks from the gas companies and sat on them for a few months and sold them back, made a ton of money. I mean, you can do stuff like that, right? Yep. So that's the benefit of it is now you can actually compliantly use the money, but here's the problem. All that money, whatever, whatever cash flow or appreciation that those assets make can't go into your pocket. It has to go back into your, your self-directed IRA because this is still qualified retirement money, right? So let's say you've been doing this for two years, right? And I'm going to give you a beautiful thing. Now check with your CPA on this because what works for me may not work for you. I mean, it's like you always have to look at your situation. At this point, I am a real estate professional, right? All I do is real estate. So I can offset any gains with any losses, whatever income it is. So now that I am far enough in and I have a bunch of write-offs from my real estate, right? 
you know, depreciation and such, I'm actually going to start pulling all that money physically out of my retirement account because I can. And whatever penalties the IRS wants to charge me, they can charge me because I've got enough losses to, to negate them, you know, and now that money is free, right? So this won't happen overnight, but you can do it. The alternative way, if you're, it, it depends how much money you have and what, what write-offs you have to offset the expense. If you have these previous accounts, you can also just pull the money out. Just pull it out and say, I want to check. They'll do some withholding for tax time. You'll pay a 10% fee and it'll get recognized as ordinary income. So you might wind up paying as much as 30% tax on it. Make sure that's what you want to do. But if you have the ability now, because you're savvy and looking at, at actual assets that produce income, if you have the ability to go put that into something that's going to double in 12 months or something like that, I mean, okay. And then you can do it again the next 12 months and the next and the next. And, and maybe, you know, th this is for people who their money is better off in their hands to grow for their future than someone else's. Right. So yeah. that's how you can free up your retirement income and, and use it. And, and let's give some context there too, because I think there's, when you see it and hear it at phase value, a lot of times what ends up happening is people are like, yeah, that's great. You know, the steps that you just laid out, Chad, it, A, it's not for the faint of heart, right? Because it takes work. It takes active managing. It takes rolling up the numbers to say, is it going to be 20% tax, 30% tax? Okay, right. what's that number compared to how much would I have to make in a real estate deal, in buying gold, in buying oil, in buying whatever investment, it, you know, I'm sure, I don't know the IRS code, but I'm sure there's probably something of, of investing in a business, yeah. right? I just, That's I right. just, you, um, you know, we knew people that the salon had just changed hands and they bought it and they were, you know, a couple of people went in, you know, as, as owners, that's an investment. You can absolutely do that. You can absolutely you can, do that. Mm -hmm. So if all of a sudden your passion is hair or a salon or a spa or a restaurant or whatever else, you can use that as an investment into a business using that to kickstart a, an investment in the business. But again, you know, the, the whole 401k, the reason why it was formed was, to help people start to save for themselves. And the government kind of had said, all right, we're going to keep this kind of protected. You can't touch it until age 65 because they didn't want people to just keep going in and, and oh, I saved 5K. I just pulled 5K yep. out. I put 5K in, I pulled 5K back out. Because at the end of the day, you get to 65 and then now you have the entire system sucking from Social Security as their only means. That's right. Now, all of a sudden, the government has to carry a burden that they weren't planning on carrying. So, you know, again, see it for what it is, you know, don't take, you know, one piece of information is great, but unless you have the overall context, it doesn't, you know, it kind of helps set some yeah. things into motion for you. So that's a big thing to be aware of is most people, they want, they want to just put money away and they say, okay, I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep shoveling it in there. And then when I'm 65, I'm good. That's great. Right. If that's you, that's great. If you're looking for, you know, how do I get more freedom earlier in life? Maybe I don't want to work till I'm 65, but everything that, that requires freedom also comes with work, managing, figuring out, you know, finding a, a, a CPA that you know and trust, you know, making sure that you're going through the right steps, finding the real estate deals, finding the business partner deals, finding these right relationships and, and building your network in order to help springboard you to that next thing. And it's really twofold there, right? So I love what you're saying because th this is not for the faint of heart. If you want to put your money in a jar and forget about it, right? This is not for you because if 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 
This is only for those who feel that they can make better financial decisions with their financial future than I'm custodians I'm not sure I understand. Can. Looks like Siri Siri's, picked up my- Siri's going <laughs> to pick up on here. So, yeah. It's funny. But, um, so, where was I going with that before Siri rudely interrupted me? Um, on top of that, so- this is absolutely, if you want to go be an entrepreneur and, and go after it yourself, this is for you. But if you just want to invest passively in non-traditional assets, man, this is part of what I do, right? I, I put money into apartment communities with myself and others, right? We run it, you know, our team runs the show, but everyone else is, is passive and receives the mailbox money, right? So you can either be the entrepreneur or you just have to be savvy enough to make these investment decisions yourself, right? Because if you do this, there is no longer, you know, a team of custodians and a team of, of mutual fund managers harboring, you know, the money and making the correct decisions for you or, or you know, modestly correct, right? If you're going to go after it, you have to own it. So that, that's really the prerequisite to this, right? And that gets into a lot of uh, mindset, which which we'll dive deeper in because that's, Again, that's one of the precursors in understanding where you want to go financially, right? If if you're looking to get that passive income, if you're looking to retire yourself or your spouse, if you're looking for, you know, whatever it is that you're looking to go after, what got you here won't get you there. So it's going to require a different mindset. You got to know that going into it. Anything that you want that you don't already have requires a different mindset doesn't say that it's impossible because everything is possible. You just got to find the right people. You got to find the right strategies and the tactics and build out that journey to get you to where you're trying to go. Exactly what just, you know, what Chad said, you get your, your mindset right. And you find people that are in this space. Now, all of a sudden you can start partnering up and it's not as, it's not as hard, but you got to take ownership of that, right? It's, it's, it's taking the ownership and also taking the discipline that's required to, Har, you know, harbor those relationships, you know, figuring out how the tax codes is set up. You don't have to do it yourself, but you at least have to find somebody who knows how to go do that to That's help right. you make those calcs, right? It, you do, it's not a, you don't have to do it all alone. Chad didn't do it alone. You got to find the right people that with the right skill set that you can kind of partner with and get you to kind of springboard yourself to where you're trying to go. Right. So with that being said, let's go to the next portion. And this is a really magical secret that I discovered, right? And I actually bought a course on how to do this, right? Because it was so, it was so confusing to me when I first saw it, right? So don't be, don't be offended if this is confusing to you or don't be discouraged, right? I, I bought a program to learn how to do this. And I'm going to break the, the, the key pieces of it down for you. But what if I told you that you don't have to put a mortgage on your house, because the, the problem with a mortgage, and then Google the term, it quite literally translates to death pledge, mortgage, okay? And I think that's Latin or something. I don't remember. But I feel like the problem, goes back to Latin. I know, I know. The <laughs> problem with a mortgage is you get, you get money at a low rate. That's great. But let's say you have you know, $50,000 of cash. And you're like, you know, I really like to lower, to, to pay off part of my mortgage and lower my payment. So you write a $50,000 check into your mortgage. Guess what? The exact same payment is going to be required of you next month and the month after that and the month after that and the month after that without regard of if you get ahead or not. So that they don't want you to get ahead. The thing about a mortgage is they are designed, if you go look at an amortization table, right? They are actually designed to 
um, be front loaded with interest on the first five to seven years, right? So you're actually not even affecting your principal hardly. And why did they do that? Well, the banks figured out that people are typically buying homes every three, five, seven years, right? So once you do that, and you go to the next mortgage, right? You originate and you start the clock over. It is very rare anymore that people actually pay off their homes and get to the end. So you wind up in this perpetual interest cycle. It's just like buying a car as soon as the first, you know, thing in the engine, you know, breaks. Like instead of spending $400 once to fix it, we're going to go buy a new car and spend $300 every month till the end of freaking time, right? That's a, that's the mindset. Okay. And, and a little bit of history here of why this, why what I'm about to tell you works. There is something called fractional reserve lending that happened right after we were taken off the gold standard in this country. There was a time where every dollar that we printed had to have an ounce of gold behind it or something like that. I forget the ratio, right? Once we took ourselves off the gold standard, it allowed us to, you hear, you hear the term printing money, right? It allowed us to manufacture currency, right? And that currency has become a commodity. The more we print of it, the lower, you know, the more it floods the market, the lower it's worth, right? So that's why you see, you know, you used to be able to buy a Big Mac for 10 cents and now it's like, what, six bucks. So that's, that's inflation and that, that's all tied together. Well, and back in- And this is a very important topic for today because mm-hmm. again, every, you know, Biden just passing the $1.9 trillion bill, Right. right. Printing the one point nine trillion dollars on top of the two times that, that Trump had. I can't remember what those trillion dollar numbers were, but the more we we pump into the system again, give it context, because this in by itself means one thing. But when you wrap it around and understand the whole macro piece of it, it has a different meaning. Sorry. Keep going. And I'm, and I'm not going to challenge whether that's a good thing or not. We can talk about currency and inflation in another episode because it, it, it's currency is also necessary to keep the economy from seizing up. So we can, anyway, that's a sure. whole other topic. For sure. But the point is after we were taken off the gold standard, the banks were given what is called fractional reserve lending. And that allowed them to, for every dollar, this is why banks want deposits from you, right? For every dollar that the bank has in of your money, which is basically a loan from you because they're paying you a very tiny bit of interest, right? It's a really cheap loan for them. They are then turning around and loaning you that same money at five or 6% interest, right? And they can loan to 10 of you. They only have to have $1 in the bank to loan $10 out. Think how big of a deal that is. If they have a million dollars of your money, they can loan 10 billion out to other people at a higher rate. They're paying you 0.1%, maybe 0.25 if you're lucky with a million dollars in the bank, they're paying everyone else. They're making everyone else pay them five to 6%, you know, and they're not even using their own money. They're using your money. All right. So let's talk about why the mortgages existed in the first place and why fractional reserve lending caused them to come into existence, right? Because as I mentioned back in the day, when farmers needed something, you know, or when someone who had a home needed something, they just put it on their line of credit and paid it down. That's how they used to work. So this is an old product. And by the way, in Europe, this is still how people buy homes, right? They don't use mortgages. It's an American thing. Well, here's what happened. Fractional reserve lending happened. Remember, this is the the $1 for $10 with the bank. For every $1 you have, they can make $10 in loans. Well, all of a sudden, the banks are thinking, hmm, I need to get more people's cash into the bank, right? So, what they did is said, I need to segment the buying power of the individuals. No longer can I just have, let them have this big line of credit 
where they can let, you know, just carry a loan and let all their liquidity sit there, right? What we need to do is create this thing called a checking account and actually say, okay, we're not going to do these line of credit loans anymore. We're going to make you get this mortgage, this death pledge. And so you're going to have to put up cash for part of it. And we're going to give you this thing where you have to make payments set every month and it's going to be interest for a while, you know, mainly, and then it'll eventually transition to, to principal. Well, that then required us to go put money into these checking accounts because if we try to keep that money on our mortgage, it'd be stuck there. We can't get it back out. Go try this. Go try writing. Don't do this really, but try go writing a $50,000 check into your mortgage and pulling it out tomorrow. It's not going to happen. It's stuck, right? You'll be really frustrated. So please don't do that. (laughs) But now the banks are happy because they have required us to get this mortgage where they make a ton of money. And they also have required us to keep our money in these really low interest checking accounts. But guess what? The bank wins because now if you have $10,000 of your money in a bank account, they get to go lend out $100,000. They're paying you 0.1% for that money and they're making four to 5% on that money. You see the game? So, which, which is important, again, when you go and open up a checking account, they say, well, we require deposits and, you know, it was, everything is a process. And so, even if we go all the way back to Chad's Chad's discussion, when they, they started in, it was called a 15-year mortgage. Well, then it was a one-for-one. One. Okay, you know, there's the interest payment and the principal payment, but it was consistent. So, if you looked at a plot, it was, you're putting equal amounts of money towards the principal and your your interest. So it was a slow step towards that. Now, all of a sudden, we've got 30-year mortgage, which is all interest front-loaded. So if you can if you can start getting people on a thread, now all of a sudden, you can start giving them more possibility of buying a bigger house by extending out the, the, the paying instead and of having a the big, payment. <laughs> and right. Instead of getting a you know, $100,000 house, now you can get a $200,000 house over 30 years and have the same payment as what you could do at a 15 and, you know, for a hundred thousand dollar house. So it, it, it offered up a shiny object where people were like, Oh, okay, I can go do this. And now over a longer period of time, same thing happens with cars right now. It used to be, I think it was like three and five year loans for cars. Now I'm seeing where it's like uh, seven and like yeah, almost nine year years. Loans. Yeah. Yeah. Seven to 10 year loans on a car. Zero percent interest for zero percent interest for 60 months. I mean, you know, like you can, Right. And and so it's just, but again, right. That's the whole context because then everyone's question is going to say, well, how do we go from this to all of a sudden where we're at? It's a slow progression over time. You only see a snapshot of what Chad's talking about that happened in the past and what's happening in Europe and where we are today, but it's a slow progression as we go there where it doesn't feel like big changes consistently, but over time with the context, you start seeing the whole macro vision of what's happening and it's important to see that because then you can start making decisions that's best for you instead of maybe what's best for somebody else. Right. So what if I told you that there still exists a product that doesn't pay the bank as much money because they get all these high origination fees and things like that. So no one really promotes this anymore, but they will actually put a first position line of credit on your house, right? So it's not like a mortgage. It's more like something to where, if I use $50,000, I pay interest on that $50,000. If I pay it back tomorrow, then I have a zero balance. I pay no interest, right? So the way this would work 
you would go to one of a select number of banks and you have to call around and see if they understand how to do this, right? But really what you need, it's called a first position HELOC, home equity line of credit, right? Most HELOCs are second position. They're, they're behind the first mortgage, right? And that's why, you know, when, when times get tough, a lot of times those get cut off because if you can't pay that back and your home value goes down, right? Well, they're stuck holding the bag. They have no collateral because the first position mortgage is going to get paid first, right? They're going to get whatever's mm-hmm. left over. But if you if you wipe out the mortgage and you go and get this first position home equity line of credit, what they're going to do, let's say you own $300,000 on your house and it's worth five They're going to say, okay, I'll give you a line of credit for 70, 70 to 75% of the value of your home. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's probably going to be at prime rate, you know, and, and it's so it's going to it's going to move over time. And the first thing they will do is write a three hundred thousand dollar check to pay off your existing loan. And then your new home equity lot of credit is actually in first position on your house. So they're going to get the, you know, written on the deed of trust. And so now all of a sudden, if, if they gave you a five hundred thousand dollar credit limit and you have a balance of three hundred, you're only paying interest on three hundred thousand, and it's interest only. There is no there is no amortization period, right? If you then let's say you sell a house and you all of a sudden have fifty thousand dollars available, you can go put that into your home equity line of credit, and now your balance is two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and so you only pay interest on two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Well, then let's say tomorrow you find an, another investment you want to go into and you need a hundred. Okay. Well, I'm going to pull a hundred thousand dollars out of this HELOC. So now my balance is 350, right? I can write that check directly and go buy the property and I'm just paying interest on whatever I've used. So the beauty of it is think of it like a really low interest, dare I say, credit card on your house, right? That you can use to deploy into smart things, assets, right? But you can use the money over and over again, deploy in and out of it, right? This is how businesses operate, it, by the way. And it almost allows you to separate out interest versus principal. And again, this, this, this again isn't for the faint of heart because it, it requires a different mindset. Most people want to say, I want to own my own home. I want to you know, pay the thing off. Or to Chad's earlier point where they jump around every three to five years buying different houses, you know, we're going to have kids, we need a bigger house, you go through your kids, now you need a smaller house and you're just going through all these buying and selling at different homes. You're never really, you know, you may try to get as far as ahead as you can, but what this allows you to do is it allows you to separate out your principal and your interest and basically pay only on the interest because you're you're saying my principal can go up or it can go down. I don't overly care about it other than the amount of interest that I'm paying, but it reduces your monthly payment and it allows you to open up some of that principal amount that you have in your house. Right. So that, because tomorrow, let's say that you, that you owned half your house, doesn't mean that you can go grab that money that you have in your house and go put it towards something. So you have an asset that's great, but th- that it's, it's, it's money that is not, it's frozen. You can't access it. This allows you to access some of that money. That's right. So in, in, of- a, in a low risk way, by the way, because when, when you're, when you have the line of credit in first position, right. The, like, even if times got tough and we had another great recession, right. If you go back and look at the history of, of equity line of credits that were cut off during the great recession, 2008, 2009, almost a hundred percent of second position HELOCs were cut off. 
um, exactly 0% of first position HELOCs were cut off. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's also a level of security to make sure that liquidity is there when you need it. Cause you know, if I'm a real estate investor, when the, when the market's down, that's when I want to be pulling cash out to buy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. For one special. And, and it's, and it's interesting because there's, there's something else that could be said of, of minimizing all of your payments. I, Chad, I, you shared this with me. I can't remember how long ago, but you said the biggest scheme that exists that people fall into is let's say that you make, you know, 2K a month, 5K a month, 10K a month. It doesn't matter what that number is. You have financial power of however much that you bring in. The best scheme of anybody to keep you continuously going is to fragment out your buying power. So let's say that it's 10K. All of a sudden, 5K goes out here, 2K here, 3K there. Before you know it, you're so fragmented that you can make a lot of money, but that doesn't mean that you're actually building wealth because you're just on this very expensive hamster wheel that's going and going and going. So what some of these concepts that Chad is talking about is it actually helps you to start combining and merging some of the things, you know, whether it's like a car or loans or anything else, you start to minimize out your overall debt and gain back your financial power and then once you gain your financial power, now all of a sudden you can say, I want to go take some money out of here and go invest it. I want to go start a business over here. Right. I want to go, I want to go be a, a, an investor, a joint venture partner in my buddy who is starting a business because I know that he's got the tenacity, he or she has the tenacity that they're going to make it successful. So I want to be on the ground floor on that. And now all of a sudden that's how you start using your financial power to grow wealth instead of just treading water, if you will. Right. And the last little bit here, so that that was really talking. So we've covered retirement accounts, how to attach or tap into that liquidity that you didn't know you had. Now we've talked about a big secret of how to, you know, understand how banks play the game and play it better and use a more efficient lending product on your home that also gives you access to liquidity. In some case, that can be several hundred thousand dollars. So again, this is not for the faint of heart. The third and final nugget that I think we'll give today is whole life insurance policies. Now, there is a strategy that we'll talk about in a future episode called the infinite banking concept or IBC, and there's variations here on too. But this is um, assuming that you purchase these maybe as part of a financial advisor's advice, right? And, you know, I'm not faulting the financial advisors. They're they're selling what they're told to sell and, and you know, kind of what they've been told about what they sell. But, you know, most of us don't need this whole life insurance product in the way that it's structured. There are better ways to do it. So you may look down and say, well, look, I'm really trying to cancel some debts and, you know, imp you know, improve my monthly take-home cash flow net of income and expenses. Well, let's say you have a $300 car payment, yet you're also paying $350 a month into a whole life insurance policy, right? That's not going to do anything for you until you're 40 or 50. There are better places to put that money. In the beginning, you're probably stuck with it for a while unless you want to cut your losses because it does take, I think it took mine five years to become cash neutral, right? Which you can argue whether it was truly cash neutral or not, but at least in in terms of what premiums I paid, it was cash neutral. Yeah. Um, so I actually had a $12,000 policy that I, you know, I had paid enough premium into to basically get my money back, you know, and I canceled the policy and I was able to wipe out a an $11,000 car loan you know, that was 
requiring about the same amount of money a month as I was putting into the whole life insurance policy that wasn't doing anything for me in my cash flow situation today. So by that simple, that simple juggling of assets and liabilities, right? I was able to come out with a net neutral, but having less liabilities also improves my income. And even if it's a net neutral today, that now means I have more cash flow available at the end of the month, right? I don't have to be committed to the two jobs we had before to cover all those expenses. Now I was okay living with less income, you know? So that one is something you can expand because you may have more situations like that. So be creative. Think about where you can take a current something you didn't recognize as an asset, monetize it, trade it, sell it, cancel it, whatever the term is for what it is. And, you know, put money back in your pocket so that you can offset whatever debts you've, you've picked up, you know, or invest it. Maybe, maybe it's worth investing. It depends on where that, that situation works out better for you in your situation. And, and the thing is, don't go out and buy another liability. Right. Because then you're just going to be on that perpetual of now you've got something else that's going to, require a payment that's going to require you more rigid, right? Do not trade assets for liabilities. That is their number one rule. (laughs) Right. Think of, and if, if, if you're struggling again with uh, assets and liabilities, go back to one of our, I think it was like episode one or two in the season where we really dove deep into that and really gave some great context there. You know, that's, that's the thing is when you start thinking in terms of money, every decision can either bring you more freedom or bring you more stress. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to start to open up. Um, and I shouldn't say stress because freedom can bring stress too, but more, I'll say rigid or more flexibility are probably two better terms. Mm-hmm. Every decision that we talk about is, is it going to bring you more, you know, is it going to be more rigid, more stiffening, or is it going to allow you more freedom? And like in Chad's example, where he's, he was able to take his life insurance policy and, and pay off his, uh, debt on his car, that right there opened up and is more flexible. Now all of a sudden he doesn't have to have as much income to keep the cash flow consistent. Now all of a sudden he can buy back his freedom, take that same amount of time, invest it into something that brings them happiness and joy and money, right? The quad factor that we talked about in a previous mm-hmm. episode. And now all of a sudden that's the momentum that's starting to pave in his wealth journey that's taken him where he wants to go. Same can be for you. Just think through everything of, is this something that's hardening my situation or is this something that's opening up and liberating my financial situation? And here's the thing, folks, Rome was not built in a day. Okay. Everything that we're talking about is a topic to master in and of itself. Okay. And I promise you simplicity is the path to mastery. So isolate one of these things that we talked about figure it out, master it, think about, always keep the thought of, is this an asset or a liability? Like like the most simple definition, is it an asset or a liability? It will change how you think about money. It will change how you make decisions. Do these one at a time, get your financial house in order, and it will step you in the direction that you want to go. That's your mic drop moment for this episode. There it is. (laughs) Appreciate it, everybody. Till next time, stay great, be healthy, and keep moving forward. Did you know that 8 out of 10 men are living a life that they wish was better? I believe living an exceptional life means unlearning everything that we've been taught and dropping the shoulds immediately. 
which is why I created a brand new ebook titled Coaching Secrets, How to Break Out of Ordinary and Live an Exceptional Life. I wanna show you the mindsets, strategy, and tactics you need to live the life you were meant to be so that you can step into the vision that you have for yourself but maybe haven't taken action. And the best part about it, it's yours absolutely free. To get your copy, head on over to manofclass.com forward slash coaching secrets. And you can start living that life right now.